0: Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be to Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week. I'm Reg Roberts, and this is the show that's getting you over the game line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. There's no Matt Rally this week, uh, but we've more than made up for it. Uh, with uh, There's a couple of old stages with well, us, Hugh Cavallo. a Hugh.
1: Good, Reg. Good.
0: Great to have you here. And joining us from the USA once again, Jamie Miller. How are you going, Jamie?
2: I'm good. Thanks, Reg. I'm good.
0: Excellent. Now we have a very special guest tonight. Uh, he's been on the show before. Um, some would think this was excellent planning, uh, considering what we are celebrating tonight, one, what happened one year ago, as it was in typical Green Gold rugby style. It was actually just a flick. I didn't quite realise um, this is the one-year anniversary of uh, the gold medal until social media went nuts this morning. Uh, Tim Walsh, the Australian women's sevens coach. How are you, Tim?
3: Very well. Thank you for having me.
0: And mate, we really appreciate it. Mate, we've, we've sort of dragged you. I feel quite bad, dragged you from. Uh, I assume a, a bit of a celebration tonight.
3: Yeah, it was just um, uh, an anniversary dinner from the uh, from the Olympic team. Um, yeah, so it was nice to to sort of reflect on that, and um, yeah, hopefully we can uh, we can sort of each year stick together and um, and, and celebrate that that moment.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I, I we've all got great memories of that day. None better than I imagine yours. But uh, even just as regular fans, It was, is one of those memories I know that will sort of live up there with me as the, as the Rugby World Cup wins in, in uh, 91 and 99. So it's great to remember again. But Tim, great to have you on the show. And I, you know, we'll, hopefully you'll get questions from all ends, but I want to start us off. We had Rod Kafer on the show last week and talk about his sort of new role in the high performance, uh, team, uh, in Australian rugby. Has he had any involvement with you? Has he come and spent any time with you and, and the, the team? At all yet, Tim?
3: Yeah, when uh, when we had that sort of um, Super Rugby and, and Australian head coaches, um, uh, not uh, would have been probably just over a month ago now. Yep. Um, and that was uh, an yeah, initiative from you, uh, and which I think Rod had, had a pretty heavy involvement in. So, and um, that was all obviously about getting the collaboration and getting all our information together, and really um, sort of striving towards having a having a you know a a strong initiative and a strong desire to make, you know, to make the Wallabies um, better, in the search of sharing information and, and making that uh, a goal. So um, that was the sort of first involvement, and then and since then um, he's been pretty much snowed under, getting a, a grip of ring. But we had a, a really good chat around um, around sevens, and uh, you know, continued on from from those conversations we had at those uh, at that. Um, Sort of conference we had um, around
0: the around the Wallabies test. Yeah, so uh, with that that catch up, they had like you say, they had all the super rugby coaches and yourself. I assume Andy Friend. I think even um, Aussie under twenty coach Cron there as well. I mean, from your perspective, you know you've got a lot of success already. Um, You know the team, while they didn't uh, take the title this year, they still performed very well. Um, and almost, I don't want to say it's rebuilding, but there's a definite sort of next phase after the, the gold medal program. What's, what do you want, to, I mean, what's your perspective of what's happening in Australian rugby at the moment? And, and are there any lessons that, that you think you can share from your success to, uh, I guess, the, the rest of the structure or the coaches?
3: Um, it is a completely different landscape in the, I guess, in the evolution mm. of, of the game um, with the women's and the men's sevens, let alone to 15s. Um, but certainly the, the approach which um sort of I undertook when I took over was just the way that we sort of looked at our point of difference or our, our, our style of play and um you know, took it more about speed and skill and intelligence. So like you hear the, the the terminology bigger, faster, stronger. Um mm-hmm. and that's that's not really ours. Ours is ours is smarter, faster, stronger so you want to get the right people and the, with the right sort of you know nous to to solve problems and 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 make decisions under under pressure and then using speed I mean again difference to 7s and 15s but um, not a whole lot but speed is just such a an important uh, facet and then this you throw in the the stronger there you know, it's not about size it's you know, it's pound for pound the strength and you can be quite lean and be and be strong and then you can sort of Encompass that around that that mentally that mentally strong into it as well. So yeah, certainly speed and skill based, and then having that ability to to do it under pressure, which I think is you know getting the the right kind of people in there. So that was a the philosophy we sort of took four years ago to build to build this team, build the women's team, and then I sort of look at those comparisons with you know possibly the. You know, the the English, but particularly the All Blacks as well, just the way that they, um, you know, every, you know, the hooker can do, you know, can pass Mm. like a fly half at at times and you've got speed all over the field. So when you do have those opportunities, you know, they don't don't end up in the wrong person's hand kind of thing and everyone can do everything. So again, I think more magnified in sevens than it is in 15s, but I I do feel it was a very similar uh, comparison um, to the, to the you know the best teams in the world in fifteens and sevens is that that was sort of more the uh, more the approach or more the the point of difference for for those teams winning.
0: Yeah. Okay. You talked about that sort of four year plan and how you wanted to to build that team and develop and I assume that took you up to Rio. Have you reset for another four years and, and how did this year pan out for you in that planning?
3: Yeah. Definitely. Um, reset and it, was, it wasn't it was just Rio and start again, it was sort of you know, every they four year cycles but they don't stop and start again so you know, yes. leading into Rio there was already a plan for the next three years after that and obviously that's hmm. loose in terms of how you how you change it and the trends of the game but at the same time we want to lead the trends as opposed to follow them so certainly, it was certainly a, a change of tact in terms of that leading into Rare was very much um, sort of focused on sort of 12 to 14 players who were going to, who were going to win that, win that, um, that medal. And then the, the, the things that we were dealing with post Rio was more around management of a, of a team and um, exposure and awareness and, um, you know, people wanting to, you know, agents and, and people wanting to, you know, sponsor players or that kind of thing. So it was more about that, Mental capacity to stay on uh, on track and remember what got us to to Rio and winning that that title. So um, we our we, theme each season and ours was for this season was respect and character. Is that that character to, to to win Rio, but then to back it up with with performances after that, and then the, you know respecting each other, respecting opposition, um, and respecting the. The past, but looking forward to the future, so that was our our sort of goal on it right? and then obviously we have little different things around um, the actual play um, you know where we think the game's heading and and, and what we can um, you know make a make our point of difference so it was a certainly not a not uh, where we wanted to be in terms of you know finishing second, and we had some really good patches and some good games but you know without consistency you're not going to go and um, win, a, win a tournament or and a World Series and if you look at the statistics and I've always said it and you know, it's a cliche that defence wins wins championships yeah. and our defensive record um, from last year to this year um, was you know, nowhere near where we were and and that comes down to to desire um, you know, I've always, and the girls hear it every day or every other day that defense to me is, is 80% desire, 20% technique. So we were just sort of lacking that that hunger and that and that edge. You know, if you want to stop someone, you'll find a way. And then that extra tw- that extra 20% will just be technique, and that was where you'll get you know, a forced turnover, or you know that technique will give you that that extra bit of um, marginal gain that'll give you a you know, get you a turnover and get the ball back in your hand. So. Yeah, you know, reality is, um, and as much as we tried to fight it, there was probably a little bit of complacency in there. We didn't work as as hard as uh, as we as, as we did um, previously, and then um, an absolutely no excuse, um, you know, blooding young players and mm. and building um, building some more experience. You know, if there's a year to do it, now's the now's the year to do it. Um, so there is, you know, that as well, building combinations and and all that kind sort of stuff. So um, certainly disappointed that we uh, we didn't win it, um, but certainly got a, got a lot out of the season and very much excited about uh, you know a massive 2018 where we've got the World Series, the Com game, and the World Cup. So there's a lot yeah. to a lot to play for and a lot to look forward to.
0: Yeah, it's huge, and we might talk about that in a second. I just wanted to touch on this season too. I mean, one of the I guess challenges is. It was your plan. Was well, always planned to bring some of these new players in or give them more time. I know you, yeah, you know, you lost to Cole Beck and I think Emma Tonigado and and Elia Green and a few others with injuries, at various stages. So you had the likes of of Cassie Staples and and um, uh, Emma Sykes and even Dom Detoy sort of getting more game time. Was that always a plan anyway to give those girls a bit more time on the field?
3: Yeah, it was always always. Always gonna go that way. We we're sort of gonna attack my sort of overall plan was the first three tournaments of the season, sort of post Rio, when we had the whole whole um whole of Australia watching us and have at mm. you know, expectation. We also had Sydney, which is the second tournament. Very important. We um, you know, put in the performance and did our best there. So the first three tournaments was sort of targeted as um, you know, that sort of um, maintain that momentum and get us a good position on the World Series ladder, and then then start shift the focus and really start to give um, the younger players more game time, you know, more more um, experience in, in those in those pressure situations. And uh, as it turned out, like it, like it generally does, you um, had some injuries and other players got more time than uh, than they anticipated, and that's where you you know you want to have that depth and that. Um, you know have that player readiness to to step up and you you want to see those those players you know take that opportunity and um I think you know there was some really good um, experience gained and and uh some players there really did sort of put their hand up and, and made sure that uh you know, for the for the years to come we're going to be you know podium bound
0: yeah okay so let's let's talk about preparations for the next season. I was fascinated. Um, by uh, sort of the events of the past, I don't know, it seemed like two weeks um, when you came up here to Queensland and, and started off in Brizzo and look, looks like some fairly intense hill sessions and I'm sure conditioning. But then you headed west and you, you're headed to Toowoomba, which is a, a bit of a mecca for sevens development, women's sevens in particular, and then out to Roma to see um, where Emily Cherry's from and her family. What was the genesis behind that whole sort of, I guess, um, team camp?
3: Yeah, there's a lot of like a lot of our motivation and inspirations drawn from from our families, and um, as you said, the uh, Toowoomba um, was a bit of a, I guess, like the Silicon Valley is to the IT world. <laughs> it was almost like the the uh, Toowoomba in that area was uh, that, that for, for our team for like we said, we the, had the Etheridge twins and you know Dominic DeToy, Demi Hayes, Regina Fredericks, and we Cherry. And even down as like the youth com games and youth Olympics in the past, there's a lot of girls coming out of that area, um, and obviously Brisbane as well. You've got Vani playing yeah. and Charlotte Castle, um, and we really wanted to one spread the spread the the love of the game, but also you know go back to those communities that not only um, you know produced these girls but supported them through it. So that well, was just a really good way that um, you know we can get back to grassroots and um you know and for the girls as well that they, they love going home. Every time they, they they go home I think they're so refreshed and, and motivated by by people and family and friends that they see that it's uh it's really rewarding to go back there. So yeah, went to, to Brisbane and then out to Toowoomba. We stayed in Demi Hayes's mum's um hotel there which was fantastic and then out to Roma where we um, all the locals gave us their swags and we're out under the stars and <laughs> and really um yeah just really getting getting back to to basics and and you know being humble just remembering where where it all started and and again what what got us to to where we are and like last year post olympics i think i remember speaking to you I, you know i threw sw- them out of an airplane it was just, just to to symbolize
0: <laughs> yeah that's right. up yeah. In the
3: clouds. Yeah. Up, up in the clouds and coming from such a high but we got to be we got to be grounded um, Yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember where you know what what got us to here was all the hard work, all the preparation, and you know it wasn't just six months leading into Rio. It was it was four years work, and every step of the way we learnt something and built up something, and and uh, and that was the the process again. You know, Rio is wonderful, fantastic Uh, memory. We're gonna celebrate forever as we did tonight, but it's in the past, and we have to. Build and, and keep getting better. So that was just a way of, of doing it. And that was again for now it was just a, a season launch, I guess for for uh, for, for this season. It was just to get back to our our roots, and then you know we have our little meetings during the week and reassess and and refresh, ready to go again.
1: Hi Tim, it's Hugh. Um, just picking up I suppose on that general theme of, of motivation I mean is it does it get harder every year um, in some ways because uh, I mean I suppose in one sense that as we saw last year that the the world's catching up to us. Um, I think it's fair to say, or certainly a lot of nations are. But also, some of the players that you you, you have, and, and Reg and, and yourself have mentioned the new ones coming through. But certainly, some of the veterans um, have been there for what's you know it seems like must be five or six years now. And 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 um, you know, in such a grueling sport as sevens, where the ratio of time spent on the field to time spent you know on the training paddock is 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 really very different to what you know, regular men's 15s rugby years. I mean, is, is that, you know, more of a challenge this year, keeping, keeping your, your troops motivated?
3: Yeah, I think definitely exactly this year. There, you know, we spoke about, um, you know, w- w- the motivations and, and what's driving us and where, where are we going with it. And they looked at this season and it was like, oh, there's no Commonwealth Games, there's no Olympics. Mm. Um, the Olympics isn't for another four years now. And the reality is they. All these girls took that rugby for the Olympics, so they're thinking, "Oh, it's another four years away now. I could maybe, maybe uh, not cruise, but you know, just sort of, you know, they lose that sort of motivation, that that uh, that benchmark, sort of something to really strive for." And I I learned a lot from it as well in terms of Rio. They were in, had the gold medal, and they had sort of two weeks in Rio. Um, at the Olympics. and then they came back to just uh, a storm of attention and and media. And before you know it, it was um, sort of four weeks off and they hadn't really had a break, but I had them back at training and they weren't mentally ready for it. Um, like physically, um, you know, they'd probably need it, but it was mentally they weren't ready. So I made a mistake there bringing them back, you know, too early um, from that point of view, you know, too uh, concerned about getting them, you know, fitter and, and back into training, whereas I think the mental side of it was really, really important. So that was something that uh, we ran as, as a group and sort of rectified it, um, you know, along the way with taking different bakes and whatever. But yeah, certainly um, finding finding what that motivation is and, and how to go about it. And like you said, when, when you've got... Um, you know, four and five year veterans now, it's how to keep them challenged and how to keep them um excited about about the future and a lot of that just comes down to, I believe, like the person. Like a lot of these girls are just so competitive that winning is winning is just always the next thing. And um it just that, that's where their drive comes from just, you know, whether whether you know, they're getting paid hundred thousand dollars or nothing then they cross the white line, they won't get out there and and, and, and win. So it comes down to a lot about the, the person, but then um, the creativity around training and touring and keeping everyone fresh. And that's uh something that we've got, certainly the last four years but even tested more so now is is keeping that uh each person in that sort of challenge quadrant, you know, not letting them get bored and and um, monotonous and not over challenging, where they lose interest, is keeping them in that quarter where they're just constantly challenging. I find the creativity around what we do uh, a real, a real challenge, but also really, a really great, uh, um, well, great challenge to be able to sort of keep that team on that on the edge. and You've got players who have got 25 caps or 25 tournaments and a gold medal, and then you've got Emma Sykes. And you know, coming in on debut. Um, you know, now alongside these world Olympic champions, it's like how do you keep them both, both, uh, you know, towards that that challenged um, that category, and that was uh, certainly the challenge this year, and and, and will forever be, I think, um, from where this, you know, where it come from to where we are to where we are now.
0: Tim, you talk about a massive year next year with, with those sort of three major events, or the World Series, the, the Games and the World Cup. It's an interesting preparation. You've got something a little bit different this year, and putting aside the Western Queensland tours, is this what the, this, what is called the Aeon National Uni Sevens, um, which is, you know, for the first time, it's a national sevens comp run through the universities, uh, which kicks off in a couple of weeks' time, I think. What's, how's, what sort of role will that play in, in I guess, your plans in terms of um, uh, success next year and beyond?
3: Yeah, I think it's, it's huge. You know, I mean, it's a massive um, initiative from the AAU, and then to have Aon as a sponsor, you know, very, very fortunate. Because, like, again, if you look back, so these girls have been professional for years now, and when they started, it was very much, uh, pretty much, a, a base, base level. Everyone. Everyone's new and fresh and learning, and now they've gone up to be, um, you know, world class athletes. And then there's that, that big gap in the middle. And there's always been, you know, the academies have been great. There's even like smaller um, individual sort of um, trainers and coaches that are having these mm-hmm. small elite programs popping up everywhere. So it's just, it's and, and tournaments as well. So it's always improved that way, but then to put it um, a, a proper pathway in place where these gold medal athletes and uh, contracted players can go down and, and, um, and sort of plug that that next level so you've got sort of developing players and players getting experience playing with these athletes at a, at a very high standard which learning get higher and higher e- each year so um in terms of our longevity and sustainability as a as a world-class nation and, and leading the way this uh this series is uh is uh, i think uh non-negotiable but very well very well timed as well and i'd love to see that tournament extend, you know, to six tournaments and mm. even, you know, even, you know, being, you got the, sort of out of the top five, was last year top four countries pretty much on our doorstep, New Zealand, Fiji and Australia. Yeah, right. so, yep. yeah, three out of four, why not get a, a university yeah. from Fiji and one from New Zealand and just expand it up a little bit. Um, mm. Again, we don't want to sort of increase the potential of the other countries, mm. but at the same time, um, you know, looking after their own backyard and, and producing it there. So I think it's very exciting. It's going to be a great, a great opening tournament. Um, I think it's awesome for players and coaches as well because coaches, there's not a whole lot of service coaches around in the country. And if they do, they're more or less one-off tournaments. So to have them in like this proper series where they can build combinations and strategies and I think, you know, their learnings will be exponential as well. And the, the role of those co- of the players coming down, not down, the players coming, the contracted players playing in these uni squads can educate players and coaches around, around around sevens, and I think it's just going to be an exponential growth for, for Australian in Australian sevens.
0: Yeah, so we're starting to see some of the squads pitch. So the first tournament, like I said, two weeks time, 25th of August, actually in Tasmania, which is fantastic. Probably the you know since 2003, perhaps the highest-profile rugby that's been on down there for a while, which is great. That extended squad, and we acknowledge some, I think, what, 50% are from meant to be university students. Have you had much oversight on the selection of those squads just to to ensure some of these, the talent you've identified is, is getting the, the right opportunity with the...
3: Yeah, we had all the, all the coaches come in to, to Nairobi for a few days to observe our training and then have sort of lectures and seminars around the point of the the um the, the tournament and what from an Australian point of view, it's back to you know the collaboration that you know KFA and Checker and everyone put in place. It's the same same with this. Is that what's the point of this this tournament? Is to build pathways, collaborate information, and basically produce um you know Olympians or you know you know quality players. So that was the you know the directive and the and the the goal of it, and then. Also, around the selection of the players, we obviously dispersed the contractor players amongst try to, to even it as much as we could around, around the states, but then encourage the selection of, of athletes with a real point of difference. So there might be a rough diamond out there that hasn't played a lot of rugby sevens before or rugby, but they have an incredible speed or um, power or something that can be cultivated and coached into an Olympic sevens athlete. So that was sort of the the, um, the the message delivered to the to the coaches amongst other ones, and then it was obviously just a, a forum to talk about management of of tournaments, management of series, strategies, and all kinds of stuff that's going to um, um, sort of help these these players and, and and coaches. And it was it was mutually beneficial, like um, stuff that i' uh, have got like players like Ben Goling's, you know, mm, yeah. Good, good mates with anyway, yeah. but just you know, different information, and I was learning you know loads and different ideas that people have, and, and different things that um, just like a basically a, a seven's think tank where Brian. from you know, the World Series Seven's experience that we have had in the Olympics, and then just from observers watching with their rugby now, so it just became um, you know really a really great few days, and again everyone leaving pretty much on the same page, but. Also, of course, they want to go out there and win. <laughs> so,
0: exactly. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how they'll go against each other. As you say, they're all hyper competitive, but uh, when they're actually yeah. up against each other, it'll be fantastic to watch.
3: Yeah, I think it's, and I think there's going to be the difference between tournament one and tournament four. I think will be will be dramatic. I think there'll be yeah. teams there that ever sort of find their feet, and by tournament four, they'll be a well-drilled, um, you know, and have some strategies. And I think it's just going to be a really a roller coaster of, uh, of, of wins and losses and highs and lows. I'm, I'm pumped. I think it's going to
0: be uh, really exciting. Oh, fantastic. Look, and Tim, we've got, had you for a long time. I just got a couple more questions. Um, no, over the other side of the world. So, in a couple of nights' time, a couple of days' time, I think it's Thursday morning, our time, the Wallari, Wallaroos will play their first um, match in the Rugby World Cup, Women's World Cup in Ireland. And there's actually three of your um, sort of squad members, I guess, from this year Shani Williams, Shannon Parry, and Mahalia Murphy uh, playing for the Wallaroos in that squad and they're actually all playing on I think they're all playing on, on Thursday night, the team was named this morning, Thursday morning. Yes. How did that come about? Was that something they approached you? Or did the Wallaroo coaches approach you? or How did that all happen?
3: Yeah, I mean, Shani and Shano um, played numerous World Cups before yeah. and were very, very yeah. passionate about about it. Um, the last World Cup, um, Shano and I had many, uh, many conversations around it because it was during our Olympic qualifying year and Right. Um, yep. You know, it was just around around performance. You know, what's going to be best for for the for the sevens team to qualify for the Olympics. Um, so that was, and we ended up ended up letting her go because you know she really wanted to to do it. And i got got huge amount of respect for Shani and It's mm-hmm. something they wanted to do. Um, and we came up with ways of how it wouldn't wouldn't affect um, the the performance of the sevens too much. Um, so that was that. But then this year they also. Um, Working with the World Rugby, position that World Cup in a in a time where sevens players could play. Mm. Um, so it was, um, it was, they were, yeah. I knew they'd want to go, and and I certainly went with my blessing. And even released released them both early to go and play in that New Zealand series as well, because so mm. I, I felt like it wasn't um, wasn't really fair on on them or the Australia to rock up to a World Cup really having not much preparation and. You know Shannon being a leader and, and obviously captain of the team, and Shani um, equally with her vice captaincy, but her leadership. It was very important that they got involved in it pretty early on to you know to build and, and really assist uh, their team, but also so t- assist the team, but assist them in what they want to achieve within the, within the game of rugby. Um, so the rest of them, the other players, um, Ellie Green was quite keen to play, but she did her yep. ACL, which uh, sort of ruled it yep. out. But other than that, there was nobody else that, um, that wanted to play. And it sort of comes back to the girls only really took up sevens to go to the Olympics, yep. not to play 615s. And that's where, sort of where their heart and their priority lies. And, and um, they know, you know, we talk about sevens fitness and training and, and uh, their preparation. And then we just talk about their mental fatigue for them to go off now and to play 15s and then sort of come back, it really affects how they prepare for the Commonwealth Games. So their their decision was pretty easy. It was my goal and my, my um, sort of uh, dreams and motivations around playing sevens for Australia, not 15s. Not so it was really only a, a few players that um, were interested. And um, like I said, I've got a huge amount of respect for Shane and Shannon and what they've done for the game and uh, I'd like to support them as as much as possible and wish them all the best in uh, the ensuing uh,
0: few weeks. Indeed, excellent. And all those games are live on Fox Sports, so I think it's 4 o'clock Thursday morning, East Coast uh, time. Final question, Tim. Um, I guess, as they say on the West Wing, uh, President Bartlett, what's next? You know, what's What's next for you
3: guys in terms of your preparation? Um... We've got the Aon series, which is great. And then um, with New Zealand coming over, um, we're going to play a series in, in Bendigo, um, which will be fantastic. And we'll um, give everybody some game time there and, again, assist in uh, in building those, those uh, the depth. And, you know, when you're competing against New Zealand, who are, were clearly the best in the world last season, it's going to be really good for, for everyone involved to, to play. And I'd love to see a few of the... Um, the, the rough diamonds coming out of that Aon series come and, uh, come and play in that so I think it has be awesome from that point of view
1: fantastic uh, then
3: we've got the Oceania tournament Central Coast where there's about eight international teams coming down and then then round one in Dubai which is in December and then we turn around and hit, hit Sydney in um, in January so um, another great one there and then um, we've got Vegas and then Com Games in April April so, yep fantastic um, yeah it's sort a of yeah, peaking at different different times, and certainly that that benchmark one being being the
0: Commonwealth Games. Oh, awesome, Tim. Look, really appreciate your time, and uh, particularly on such a special night for you and the team. Um, always great to, to have you on and, and sort of chat about all things sevens rugby, and, and I guess broader as well. And we wish you best of luck with the season, and hope uh, hope we find some uh, some new superb talent to get the, the the conveyor belt going in this Aon Sevens coming up.
3: you thanks for having me. Always uh, always appreciated. Thanks for the support. Thanks, Tim. Speak to you soon. Cheers.
0: All right. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I kind of monopolised that a little bit. Um, Jamie, uh, Tim's always... A, you know, He's got a great rugby brain. He's got one of the, I guess, more lateral thinkers in the game at the moment. What's, uh, What was your read of all that?
2: Oh, just the amount of detail, the command of everything, just... Uh really made me think we need more people like him around the game. Uh, just mm. Very committed in a, in a human sense to, to what he's doing there, but also just the technical knowledge, the understanding of the rhythms of the players lives and the importance of working around that. Uh, just, just very empathetic. Um, it was really interesting to hear. Yeah,
0: he's fascinating, isn't he? Uh, Hugh, I mean, he, he, a, a big sevens fan. he, he he approaches this um, so methodically, but also, um, you know, it, he mixes it up. You can see that they've got to keep things fresh and, and look at things from a different perspective. And, and he's always trying something new, it seems.
1: He, yeah, that's right, and 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 look, to to be brutally honest, I mean, I probably wouldn't say it in front of him, but Reg, I think you'd agree. Last year was a disappointing season yeah. for for our yep. for our women's sevens. We didn't we didn't bag any tournaments, and actually, um, I think there was a clear hangover from the Olympics, which is understandable. And I think Tim Tim acknowledged it in, in a few of his answers there. Um, and and you know, this this coming year's uh, there's a much more on the table for them in terms of Commonwealth Games. Um, being, you know, being the major one. So, yeah, you know, that, that, that's, um, that's something to, uh, to look out for. And I think as well, one thing I'd love to see is just a, a better performance in front of their home crowd at Sydney because I feel like yep. I was there earlier this year. They bottled it a little bit in, in, and lost in the semi final. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, let's hope Australia Day comes around and they can, they can put forward a really good showing in front of a big home crowd.
3: Yeah,
0: exactly, and, and that—that's right. I think they, they you're right. They really were looking forward to the Sydney to, as a showcase, and maybe those, you know, the promotional stuff got in the way. But uh, you know, understanding their psyche, as, as sort of Tim mentioned, I've got no doubt they'll have that circled as a really important one to sort of, um, I guess, win back the fans. Not that they have to win them back, but they, you know, make up for last year. So, excellent stuff. Um, all right, lads, Super Rugby. Final happened on the weekend. The Crusaders win, I think, was this their eighth win or ninth win since starting, which is phenomenal. 25-17 uh, win over the Lions um, over there in Emirates Airline Park. Jamie, what was your read on the match, mate? Were they deserving winners?
2: Yeah, they were. I mean, it was a very, very good game. Um, the Lions conceded two early tries, and they just looked a bit rattled, looked a bit off the game, and uh, the Crusaders were just able to control it from there out. And then just as the Lions looked like they were getting into it just before halftime, uh, Quagga Smith, one of, one of those guys who just has such a beautiful name. You know, <laughs> we, we need more players in this game with names like Quagga Smith. It's the exoticism of Quagga and the complete banality of Smith. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> <so> <laughs> he basically decided to completely ignore the last sort of four or five years of law development and just charge headlong – at a hundred percent pace into a guy who was, you know, a <laughs> meter and a half off the ground. And I mean, it was very lucky that Havili didn't, didn't actually break his neck. Okay. It was incredibly dangerous. And, and I think, uh, it was one of the easiest decisions that Yako Paper has ever had to make. Um, I, I think he went upstairs just to double check, but he knew everybody knew what was happening as soon as he hit the ground. The red card came out, and from there, that was pretty much it. The Lions tried to put it together in the second half with 14 guys, and they did get a couple of tries, but uh, it was all over. And, um, you know, the Crusaders lost one game the entire season, which in the New Zealand Conference is a really impressive achievement, and uh, they fully deserve to win. They deserve to win on the day, and they were the best team across the season as well.
0: Yeah, Hugh, I don't know from your perspective, but I still feel, Jamie points it out, they only lost one game, but I still feel the Crusaders come un, came under the radar. I don't know if you remember the season starting, the Blues smashed the Sunwolves by 70 and then put 60 on the Rebels and everyone thought, you know, the Ioni brothers were going to monopolise the, the competition and the Hurricanes were doing it and all that sort of stuff. And all the while, the Crusaders were winning and, you know, playing really solid rugby and, and, and um, with a team you know i guess reed came back late but it wasn't an all star team it wasn't the team of previous years particularly in the back line i guess but they just kept doing what they did and and, and before we knew it they're in the final and, and, and winning and winning overseas is the point you made last week it, i think was it the second time ever they have um anyone's won out of their out of their country i guess continent and um both times it's been the Crusaders?
1: yeah i mean it, it was um it was a fantastic year wasn't it? one of the all time great seasons really. I, right. I think you look through the, look through the records. I don't think you'd find too many teams that have gone through with only one loss. Um, it's um, it, it's, I remember Reg, what you were saying. I mean, after about, uh, you know, it seemed like two or three months, you know, I, I remember getting up the table and going, Oh God, the Crusaders have won 10 yeah. games and they haven't <laughs> lost any. You know, you're, you're exactly right. They didn't have, they don't have the macaws. They don't have, you know, the, Necessarily a guy like Sonny B. Williams. And actually, you look at the team now and, and you go back, and one thing that's really united uh, the really good teams in Super Rugby um, has been that 9 yeah. 10. And you think, you know, um, guys like, you know, uh, Genier and Cooper, and, and before them, um, Marshall and Mertens, and these, these great names. And I think when um, it was Dupree and Stain for the Bulls when they had their great yeah. run. And actually, you look at this 9 nine ten combo yeah. um and it's 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 not it's actually probably a real outlier in the sense that they don't have um, that solid you know the, that that really experienced international um combo at, at the base of the you know at, at, in the back line there and and they don't have you know they've got the all black captain they 've got israel dag and they 've got you know um, plenty of really good players um in the front row as well but um you know they they um they aren't necessarily start the star-studded teams that we're used to, but the the funny thing is, Reg. I mean, in in the Jamie said the Crusaders only lost one game. So did the Lions. The Lions went through yeah, yeah. only one game lost the season. I think this shows Regular you system. the yeah, vagaries yeah. of the conference season, the conference yeah. system that we have, where you know they'd only lost one game, but they hadn't played it in in the New Zealand conference. And so I think we're all sort of longing for the time when we can burn this whole thing to the ground. But it um it you know it shows you that um that the system is still a bit flawed. And, and, mm. and actually, the Lions did pretty well, considering they were a man down to come back with two late tries. was, was showed a lot of ticker in, 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 I think, a lot of lesser teams would have probably folded up, especially in those late stages. But um, it, it, it was a, a pretty good end to an to a, to a interesting season, but you, you can't say the best team didn't win.
0: Yeah, indeed. And the Lions did the same last week versus the Hurricanes, sort of finished on top to... Um to sort of walk away with that win. I think uh, the Hurricanes were leading up until that Bowdoin-Barrett yellow card. But... um, uh, um it, it's you say you talk about the tournament and it's in the Lions and, and the Crusaders but finishing in the middle of the night would, like you said a good game of rugby but unseen in the middle of the night isn't that the problem I guess we as Australians in a in a fairly uh, immature market uh, have with this competition I mean it's you can have the best game in the world but it's if it's happening at two o'clock at night it's it's not being seen by too many people
2: yeah and look I mean. I think a lot of people are, are sort of focusing on the, the Crusaders, very sort of test match style uh, of play, you know, really strong in the forward, amazing set piece, great suffocating defense. But I think, you know, the reason they won the title is obvious, which is um, they had an Australian tight head prop, Mike, Allah, ala Alla Alla Allah, Allah, Alla, Alla, <laughs> And yep. uh, Dig, Digby Ioanni winning his second super rugby title with a, yeah. with a different franchise. I mean, Obviously, it's the influence of the Australians that has really carried them across the line. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just a bit disappointed that we, uh, we, we're not getting all the credit that we're entitled to here. Uh,
0: and don't, don't forget Peter Samu that from the Randwick back row. He was there too. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think he be the back last year as well. So all very, uh,
1: all very interesting stuff there.
0: Um, and uh, Hugh, what about uh, the highlight of the match? Scott Robinson's breakdancing at the end of the game.
1: Oh, well, of course. That was, that was, I mean, stellar. It wasn't just someone horsing around too. There was real quality in that in that breakdancing performance there, wasn't it? Well, I mean, he, did it,
0: actually, he did it when the New Zealand <laughs> of the Twenties won the World Cup, the Junior World Cup a few years ago. So he's, he's held himself up. But what I want to see him doing it after an All Black win, so we'll see.
2: He's really uh, quite good. I've got to be honest. He's, he's really good at it. Mm. I yeah, mean, it's he's hilarious
0: not, too. Yeah.
2: He's not just like some, you know, guy 12 beers down just writhing around on the floor making a mess of himself. He's he's actually got some pretty sick moves there. I I, <laughs> I don't know, I was impressed. And very impressed. Yeah, well scared, but I was very impressed.
0: I was just gonna say he's a rugged back rower, you know, open side flank. He would have been at the bottom of a plenty of rucks and moors and made a thousand tackles and surprised his body's still holding up to being able to do any of that sort of break dancing. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, just to finish the season, Reg, I know, I mean, I've been pretty inundated. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you're pretty keen as well to know how the Green God Rugby tipping finished up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, I, you know, to my, my uh, fans out there, unfortunately, uh, finished in the silver medal position. Oh, no! <laughs> um, edged out by Bay 35 Pablo, Paul, who I know oh, oh, um, is on Yes, yes. Um, he edged me out by 0.25 of a point. Um, oh, right. so well done. Well done, Paul. Um, and, uh, Al Dunning Knight finished in third, but it was a, a competitive season. Just, uh, just didn't have what. It, uh... Was
0: there a particular game that you, that sort of turned the tide that you saw Paul or was it the last, it wouldn't have been the final, I assume. Was, oh no, something... I, I
1: had a, I had a, a few, um, I dropped a few matches in the, in the, in the home rounds and, um, yeah. unfortunately, um. My constant tipping against the force uh, came back to haunt me. Um, not out of any spite towards our Western Australian cousins, of course. Hello to all of them, um, and of course, hello to Dave Vessels. Um, Dave Vessels tuning in as always, Listen but um, yeah, but um, unfortunately, my uh, my tipping against them cost me. But uh, still, a great season, and uh, look forward to be to be back to avenge my defeat next year. All right, good stuff, lads. I don't know what you finished, Reg, actually. I, I, I couldn't scroll down that far. But uh...
0: Yes, no, I, um, I, I put it down. To, I, I was in a tipping competition with my sons and my uncles and cousins and stuff like that, and I share a computer with my sons. I've got a sneaking suspicion they're logging on after me and changing my tips. Uh, of so, course. Um, yeah.
2: we'll see. Wow, that, Reg, that is so low.
0: Yeah, no,
2: so it
0: is. Low. I've taken away their pocket money and everything. It's
3: just disgusting. No, no. Not <laughs> f- let's yeah, move on. F-
0: let's, f- let's, f- let's, f- <laughs> I know where you're going, Jamie. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's move on, guys. Wallaby squad uh, check is now um, sort of narrowed down as Wallaby squad to just 34 mid now um, for the next two, bl- two blottisley tests, which we were saying before the show um, it blows my mind. It's actually next weekend. It's the 19th of August. The uh, Wallabies play the All Blacks at. And and we might have a chat about your enthusiasm with that. But I guess the biggest decisions might have been the captain. Hooper was probably suspected, then Foley and Gennier as vice captains. Any surprises there, Hugh?
1: No, no surprises there. I think um, it's it's funny though. I mean, I'm always a little bit surprised at the backlash around Michael Hooper um, that you see on our on on the forum and a little bit on Twitter. I think it's so hard that you remember how young Michael yeah. Hooper is, and people tend in, in sport in the world of sport. Um, online especially to be so uh, unforgiving and unwilling to believe that people can can really change and mature and grow um and I think we've seen this year from the Waratahs Michael Hooper really has done that and not only has he basically carried that team along with Bernard Foley this year you know through some pretty disappointing results certainly none really due to him um But he's, you know, he's handled it pretty well. And, and you look at some of the on field footage where he really leads that team and some of the things that he says, I, I found really fascinating. And I'm, I'm interested to see. Uh, I always think with captaincy discussions, I've made this point before that it's hard to know, it's hard to know who is good and who's not unless you're really in the team and in that huddle after the try. And you can judge a bit from the interviews and the way they conduct themselves with referees and on the field and that, that. That's um, other things like that. But really, you know, to know who has the respect of the team, it's, it's, it's a lot harder. And a lot of the pundits, I mean, I know um, a certain, you know, um, I've described him as a moron in the past, but, you know, um, <laughs> I would call him just a <laughs> bit of a fool. Spyro over on the Raws pumping for Adam Coleman. And, and as much as I like Adam Coleman, I, yeah. I think that's ridiculous. And just seeing yeah, some I bloke, just a, he's a good player on the field, or therefore he must be captain. I think that's... that's um, that's not 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 a particularly smart view to take. So look, I'll give I'll give Hooper some time, and we'll see how he goes and settles into the role. He's already been captain for quite a while with the Wallabies, and had. a I think he's now time.
0: captain them more Tests than Mark, Mark Ellis captain the Wallabies. Then you know, I, I found a bit of a list. Of, you know, he's he's been there since 2014. Not every Test, obviously, but he's I can't remember. Might have been 20 Tests already. So it's you know, he's no rookie.
1: No. So I mean, I think. Going into a Bledisloe, good luck with that, Michael. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll see how we
0: go. So, Jamie, the Bledisloe—it's it, upon us. So, <laughs> excited?
2: Um, I don't think excited is is the right word. Sort of like uh, fearful, deeply yeah. concerned. Um, all of those sorts of words spring to mind. I just, when you actually look at the squad, it just looks so weak. There's maybe eight. Debutants in that in that uh, Bledisloe Rugby Championship squad. And um, there's just so many good players overseas who would walk into that squad. Um, guys like Greg Holmes, like Matt Tamua. And then on top of it, you know, I mean, you can't help those things, I guess. But, you know, to not even pick two fly halves in your squad mm. is, just seems like such an unforced error. I mean, just logically, it's true that Bernard Foley seems immune to injuries and that's amazing good for him um but we obviously need more guys in that 10-12 channel and uh i just couldn't believe that we didn't pick more players younger players to blood them and 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 put them in a position where they can at least play i mean a few years ago i think it was 2013 we had seven different starting hookers that year um yep. it was just an injury crisis just went one down and the next guy went down and the next guy went down I don't know who the seventh starting fly half in Australia is, but he's probably playing club rugby at the moment and we can't afford to be in that situation. So, look, you know, I mean, obviously we support the team and we support the guys and we want them to do the best that they can. But, I mean, gee, they're making it tough for us, aren't they? Really?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you talk about depth in that hooking position, particularly in Jordan Ulessi who's uh was in the Aussie under twenties this year. I think he's only played minutes of super rugby, hasn't started just come off the bench a few times, is our third hooker. Tolu Lasu is injured, but but where's James Hanson? Where's Andrew Reedy? Why we know where they are. They they haven't had fantastic years, and that's but part of this big issue with Australian rugby. These players aren't developing uh, like they should be um, for the I game. Will, I, then...
2: I couldn't agree with you more actually that that it is it is an issue with player development. I will say that Having watched a fair bit of the under-20s, Uwe was an absolute standout and uh, was often positioned on that far-left attacking channel where usually there'd be a back rower as well. So pretty mobile, very savvy guy, a um, lot in the tank. And, uh, yeah, I think he's, he's, a, he's a quality player if he keeps developing the way he is, I reckon. So, yeah, that's, well, that, that's right. But, mate,
0: he's, he's in the Wallaby squad. There's this, this fantastic picture from him during... The week, I think it was as a two year old playing in the under sixes, um, and is the same size as all those under sixes. So he's a big unit and we wish him well, but it's just indicative of, of some of the challenges we've got and, and maybe where the hope expectation for this wallaby team may lie. Uh, Hugh, um, you know, you're in Sydney. What's the feel? Would, would you even be able to tell that the Bledislaw test was coming?
1: No, you wouldn't. Um, but look, you know, I'll, I'll hand, I'll, I'll tip my hat to the Wallabies a little bit. They've, they've, they've been up yes. in the Hunter in Cessnock, yep. um, this yep. last week, and and far you know when they when they announced that they were in the hunter, I assumed that they would just be you know uh strolling through the uh vineyards of Pecolburn yeah. <laughs> um you know doing some hard tastings and that sort of thing. but actually, it seems like they've been um really open with their time and um and uh, accommodating of the community up there which is which is a good thing and and they're trying to get some stories out there. Unfortunately, the, the super rugby mess and some other things have been um, monopolizing the headlines. But I think there'll be some interest. And when the time comes, you know, it's the biggest game in Australia of the year. And I think we we often are a little bit too cynical about it. and And I suppose we have to get back to our inner 12-year-olds and just get excited a little bit more for it because, you know, We've, we've got another chance to, to roll the Kiwis and it might be a bit of a long shot, but uh, sometimes that's where a lot of the greatest victories come from. And unfortunately, those the injuries though, Reg. I mean, Carmichael yeah. Hunt having to go in for surgery, yeah. being a yeah. killer... Um Sefa Naivalu's having to yep. go on back to surgery's been a killer. Yeah, you just know, these these guys, you know, we just need all hands on deck this year. And you just feel like have, losing two players that were so important to us during those mid year internationals. Even Sefer only got one test, but he yeah. shot enough in that test to to show that he's our number one winger. Um, you know, it's it's just a blow. And we're going back to Reese Hodge at twelve, who's nice, but you know, we saw Carl, what what Michael Hunt can do. And and you know we're Will- looking at the, uh, the back row and it's, it's just a, it's just yeah you know not going to be a particularly strong side unfortunately so no. you know, hey, look,
0: I, yeah yeah we, we we might get into it more detail next week as we get a sort of better of understanding of which way the squad's going but um, it, it's interesting to um, I get sense of the feel but mate I'll, I'll echo your sentiments there about the the ARU, I guess in general um, and the Wallabies getting out there sort of a, a bit of off the beaten track and out of the eastern suburbs. And I think they spent a, time, a bit of time in Western Sydney and, like you say, Cessnock, which is fantastic. We just had Timmy talking about the sort of Western Queensland they've done with Toowoomba and Roma. I think the Aussie men's C- Evans team are up in Mackay this weekend or, or next week at least, playing a couple of games versus Japan. So you know, whether it's a, a strategy or it's just fluke that they're all doing it, it's you've got to give them credit that they're out there trying to re-engage um, with some pretty probably forgotten areas, um, which is great. So hopefully uh, they see some some benefit both from on-field and also, I guess, player support, uh, uh, you know, fan support.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and for, for people who, who are out there in Cessnock and... and and in the Hunter and watching the training, but the one thing that always strikes me in the photos is that the Wallaby bibs have all these letters on them. And some of them say SS and some of them say H and some of them say RB and they're clearly delineating roles and attacking and defensive structures. And I would love to know what they stand for. If anyone can can find an answer about what they stand for, I would love to know.
0: I think we want the full list. I think someone on Twitter a little while ago came up to the SS was short side. Uh, there was RB running back. I don't know if that's right. That sounds too much like an NFL position, but had had come up with some ideas. Um, but uh, I think you're right. It would be great to get that definitive list and, and how it's used practically and why, why they're doing it because um, it's, it's obscure.
2: Yeah, if I had to guess, I'd say it was something to do the, with the one three three one attacking system yeah. and just making sure the right guy goes to the right place. So the short side guy stays on the, sh- on the close side after hitting the first ruck. That'd be my guess, but I'd love to know because every time I see the photos, it bugs me. Yeah, yep.
0: Yeah. All right, guys, we're going
2: to wrap it up, but
0: it's worth touching on um, uh, club finals. Um, I know Hugh, Sydney starts this weekend, so the Premier, uh, the Shoot Shield finished last week, and I think University of uh, Sydney missed out for the first time in eons, but um, we got Manly versus Eastwood uh, this weekend we've got on Saturday Warringah versus Rand- Randwick uh, on Saturday and then Southern Districts versus Northern Suburbs. So uh, a good culmination of the season and Matt will be happy that Northern Suburbs are
1: still in with a shot. Oh, of course. Matt's a di- diehard Norse fan, as we know. Um, getting down there, it seems like every game, which is just fantastic. Um, but um, South of my, South are the guys I'd really like to see do well. Um, they've been there or thereabouts for a number of years but never really cracked um, cracked it the way they should have. Um, they're a really talented side. Um, manly are the other ones, obviously. You know, they're, they're topping the table. Um, pretty sure they top the ladder again this year. And,
2: yeah. and,
1: and they've been the classy side for so long in that shoot shield, but actually have never, I don't think they've even got to a final, let alone won one. So, um, it, it'll be really interesting to see if they can break, um, their drought this year. Um, and, and there was a few boil overs in, in, um, in, in the Brisbane. Yeah, uh... mate,
0: so first round of grand finals was fascinating. So you had University of Queensland, who did Crusaders, they only lost one game all season and finished minor premiers by the length of a straight. They played uh, Jeeps rugby club, my old club, Jeeps, um, in the major semifinal and, and lost to Jeeps. So Jeeps were the only, only team to beat them during the comp, regular season, and they thrashed them, in fact, in the final. It was, it was Fantastic. It was a nice, tight game up until uh, about the hour mark, and then Chris Curandrani passed on a loose ball and ran away and, and passed his inside, I think it was to Todd Winkley, the fullback, to run away and score, but, uh, and then ran away, and it was ended up being close to a 20-point margin. Uh, and then the other game, a uh, minor semi-final, semifinal, my, my other team, my junior club, Wests, playing in their first final in a decade, um, uh, lost on the buzzer to Sunnybank um, with a, a, a was it a, a try closer line that came from the line for the last few minutes so Western knocked out Sunnybank will play uni this weekend at Ballymore and Jeeps straight to the grand final so Jeeps last played in a grand final in 2013 where they lost to East, but the last time before that was 1996 was their last grand final win where they beat South, a South team full of Tim Horan and Jason Little and Mark Connors and all these guys. So the boys from Jeeps are are, are very much looking forward and they're uh, looking forward to their grand final in two weeks' time. We'll just see who they're playing. Um, And I know some of the other clubs across the, you know, competitions across the country uh, into finals mode. I couldn't quite get all the details, but Western Australia this weekend, Palmeira, playing Associates on Saturday and then West Scarborough playing Nedlands on Sunday in the semifinals before the final uh, next weekend. So get out there and enjoy your, your club rugby guys. Um anything else Hugh and Jamie before we wrap uh, up?
1: Just the mess that super rugby's uh, become.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All that, I, I don't understand what's happening now. The VRU's now owning the rebels for know. a yeah, dollar. Exactly. exactly. The Twiggy Forest and the WA premiers behind them. It's just... I don't want to think about it. It's just yeah. too sad. Uh... Yeah. And, and, like, and
0: guys, if people wanted to listen to the podcast for in-depth analysis of what's going on, sorry guys, but I, I don't get it. And, uh, you know, I, I probably can't come in anymore until, until you know, the, the decision's made. But I, I'm with you, Hugh. I'm, I'm over it. I can't understand it. And every day just blows my mind because there's a new outlandish development.
2: For me, for me I just think they, 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 they went in the wrong direction on two issues. Firstly... They've got to get back to listening to the fans and stop treating yep. the fans with such contempt. Absolutely. And second, and I'm talking about the ARU as well as fans. I, yeah, are yep. here. And secondly, they need to be transparent about what their vision for the future is. It is impossible for them to convince the the Victorians and the West Australians that their side needs to be the one that's going to get the chop, if, as is widely rumored, in three years' time, the South Africans aren't going to be in the competition Mm. at all, and they're going to be expanding with a Samoan team and expanding with a second Japanese team or something. There needs to be, like, just one iota of public discussion and frankness about what the competition's going to look like in 10 years and how the moves that we're considering now are building towards that. And there is none of that. There's just total contempt for the fans, total contempt for the public who never wanted the conference system, had had no no say in that, were not interested in that. And it is just such a blight. And the arrogance of the people making these decisions is massive. Um, And the account that came out of the Western Force about the meeting when the ARU execs sat them down for a consultation meeting and blindsided them and told them that they were going to be cut within 48 to 72 hours just exemplifies that point, just exemplifies the arrogance between the administrators organising game and the people who are actually volunteering and coaching and playing and going to watch the game. And it is so tragic to see.
0: Yeah, well said, Jamie. I think you encapsulated it well and we won't add much more. Um, we'll wrap it up, guys. I'll remind... Oh, look, I just wanted to do... I did want to mention that we did actually approach the RU to get one of the women's sevens players on. Uh, they were keen, but our naivety that this was the one-year anniversary. We're obviously at this function and off celebrating, deservedly so. But kudos to Timmy Walsh, who stuck his hand up the function early and came home to chat. So thanks to Tim, but you know we, we're really keen to get one of the, the women on um, to talk about Uh, you know, the sevens and the planning, but Timmy's uh, stepped up there uh, remarkably well, which was fantastic. Um, And then reiterate the Wallaroos on Thursday morning. So hopefully uh, you guys can get up and watch that on Fox Sports because it's um, a great opportunity for the women. The Irish have lost a couple of key players, so we'll see how our women go over there. Um, Big show tonight, Jamie and Hugh. Thanks a lot for coming in, Jamie, particularly given the time difference, mate. Appreciate it.
2: Not at all, mate. Any time?
0: Great, same so, time next week and Hugh, you, you too, and we'll uh, to all our listeners, we'll catch you next week.
1: See you next week. <laughs> Heels off the top.
0: Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan. Drop goal from Larkham! Up it goes!
3: Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a to bear.